Hey there, it's so great to have you here with us today. One Chapel is a family of neighborhood churches in Kyle, and we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing in this community and how to get involved at onechapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message from our Who Am I series. My first question is, what's wrong with you all that you clap after that? I don't understand, <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. Um, hey, are you ready to study the scriptures, yes or no? Awesome, me too. Um, hey, let's get into it. Listen, uh, as we get started here, I just want to ask you a question. Um, and the question is, it's pretty simple. Are you happy? Yeah. Oh, well, good. Good. That's really, that's really encouraging for me. I guess we can pray and go home. Um, are you happy? Are you happy overall with the direction of your life? Are you happy with where you're headed? Are you happy with the way things are going? Are you happy at work? All right, oh, that changed people a little bit. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you meant that. I thought you meant just right now. Uh, are you happy in the relationships that you have? Are you happy with your friendships? Are you happy in your marriage? Just be quiet if you're not. Um, are, you, are, you, are you happy with your weight and the way that you are and the way that you look right now? Just overall, <laughs> it's quiet on that one. Uh, I feel your pain. Um, are you happy? Happiness is a big deal in our culture, have you noticed? Everybody really wants to be happy. I mean, it always has been this way. I mean, you can look around and you'll see all kinds of songs in our culture about being happy. And lest we forget my very favorite one, here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note, but don't worry. Let's pause, it's too long. Be happy. Yeah, you know it, all right? Everybody sing. Let's not. Um, ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, it's a, it's, and people, people write songs about it and, and, and create movies around it and, and write articles around it. Why? Because everybody is searching for that elusive happiness in our culture. If you're not one of the ones that today was able to say, yes, I'm so happy, let me just try to give you just a little bit of a boost. Like they say there are different things that happen that cause you to, to experience some kind of happiness, right? Like if you experience a, some kind of um, somebody doing something kind for somebody else. They say that that helps you to experience some happiness, even if you just watch it, especially if you do it. Oftentimes, though, if you'll just see someone who's smiling and laughing, it can bring you a sense of happiness. So let me just try it really quick. If you would, direct your attention up here and watch this. Now, some of you experienced a little bit of happiness after that. There's a certain percentage of you that actually got really frightened, though. It was really, really scary. It was, it was more creepy. Once their heads were up there and really big, it actually changed for me. I got afraid. Um, 
But you, some of you experience just a brief moment of happiness, and then what happens though is you experience something like that, and then kind of the video goes down, and it's back to, oh, it's the normal life that I live. For some of us, you feel a little bit better, you smile, but for others, it's just really temporary. We're in the middle of this series of messages that we're just calling, Who Am I? And what we're trying to figure out is, who are we really supposed to be? Who did God create each one of us to be? You as an individual, who has God created you to be? And so for the last few weeks, we've been asking that question. And I actually don't think we're honest about how often in our lives we ask that question. So today we're going to ask the question, who am I when I don't feel happy? When I don't feel any happiness in my life? We're trying to discover this person that God created us to be, and, and we don't want to find the person that our emotions tell us we should be. That's not enough. We don't want to be just the person that uh, our, our, our thoughts tell us should be, or our culture tells us to be, or our mother-in-law tells us that we should be. We're looking for the person that God created us in his original design to be. And you're not going to find that person by taking a deep, introspective look inside yourself. Uh, you, you're going to find that person in a podcast or a self-help book. It's not going to be there. This question can only be answered by looking to the one who actually created you, and that's what we keep trying to do. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, happiness? Does God even care about this? I mean, does God really care about my happiness? I mean, it seems a little silly and a little frivolous, doesn't it, Brent? Because uh, God doesn't want me to be happy. He wants me to be holy. God's not concerned with happiness. He's concerned with holiness. Well, maybe he's concerned about both, actually. And while I do believe that that holiness is what God is looking for in all of us, I actually think that the holiness can lead you to happiness. And that's kind of what we're after here today. So we've looked at several Bible characters. We've looked at Moses and Saul and Ruth and, and Peter last week. And today we're going to look at one of the wealthiest people in history. And his name is Solomon. But before we do, I want you to look at this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. It says, God blesses those who are humble. For they will inherit the whole earth. All right. <laughs> this, word, this word right here, this word bless, this word bless in the Greek, it's uh, makarios. Makarios. And it literally means you can have happiness. You can have happiness. And we're not talking about the frivolous kind, that silly kind of happiness. We're talking about a happiness that's real, a happiness that's actually grounded, something that's concrete. So what's God saying here in this passage? He's saying the more humility you have, the more real happiness you're going to have. The more you can humble yourself under God's mighty hand, the more exaltation, not from the world, but a real, actual exaltation you're going to experience in your life. Now, everybody, this is amazing. And something that in 2019, I think we all deeply find ourselves wanting. Here in the United States, happiness is something that is actually one of our inalienable rights, isn't it? What was it? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's right there in our founding document. It's in the Declaration of Independence. We have this deep-seated idea in our culture that I should be happy. And if I'm not happy, then something's wrong. If I'm not experiencing happiness in my work, it's time to find something else. If I'm not experiencing happiness with my spouse in our marriage, well, it's probably time for me to look elsewhere. If I'm not experiencing happiness in what I'm doing, then something's off and I need to do something else. It's not true. So according to a Harris poll, only 33% of people, if they're really honest, say, I'm really happy. 33% of people say they're happy. So the question becomes, if happiness is something that we're supposed to pursue in the United States, 
if, if happiness is what we really want, then why are so few of us actually experiencing it? How come we don't have it? Why is happiness so hard to find? Why is it so elusive in this world that we're living in? Which brings us back to Solomon. Let's look at what he has to say about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Meaningless! Meaningless, says the teacher. Welcome to church, everybody. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of, what, of which one can say, look, that is something new? It was, already, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. <sighs> okay, <laughs> that's a little rough. Some people have said that this book of Ecclesiastes, it's kind of like the diary of a billionaire. Uh, and that's Solomon. And the interesting thing about this guy Solomon is that he had it all. You want to talk about money? He had lots of it. I mean, he was rolling it. He was the most influential, most powerful, most prosperous king in the nation of Israel. He, he wasn't just prosperous himself, but he actually brought uh, prosperity to the entire culture that he was ruling. I mean, they had all the things. They had everything at their fingertips, all the stuff that most people would say would make them happy. And Solomon, he had it to the highest degree. There was no pleasure that he denied himself. You want to talk about food? This guy was the ultimate foodie. He had food at his fingertips, the best, most extravagant, the best of the best. Some scholars believe that Torchy's queso was created under his kingship. It's not very scholarly, but some would say. You want to talk about uh, parties? This guy threw the greatest parties with the most influential guests. Servants waiting on them all, hand and foot, giving them everything that they needed. People from all over the world would come and sit with Solomon to listen to his wisdom. Solomon by far had the most exquisite and, and lavish palaces of anybody at the time. You want to talk about romance and sex? Solomon had all that too. 300 wives, everybody, and 700 concubines. It got really quiet in here. Now, ultimately, that led to a lot of problems, actually, which is no surprise to anybody. But the point is, he had it all. By the world standards, Solomon had everything. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, man, if I just had some of that stuff. Probably not the concubines. Let's leave that part out. But if, if I just had some of that stuff, I know that my life would be better. I could be happy. I mean, if I could be a millionaire, I know that finally I would be happy. Shoot, if I could be a thousandaire, I would be happy. I would settle for a hundredaire. It would be fine for me. 
Solomon sits at the pinnacle of materialism and excess, and he says, you know what? It's not enough. It doesn't deliver. Now, there's nothing really wrong with some of those things, but what is wrong is for us to take our hope and our trust and our happiness and place it in those things. And the, ha- and the reason is because happiness is so fleeting. Happiness, it just disappears. Happiness is kind of like Snapchat. Some of you will understand that reference. Some of you won't. It's like Snapchat. Oh, man, I went to this great concert. Snap. Oh, I've got the greatest friends. Snap. Oh, I did this really cool thing. Snap. Oh, this meal was amazing. Snap. And then in 24 hours, it's gone. The next day comes and it disappears. And you find yourself in a completely different circumstance than you were the day before. That's what happiness is like. It's elusive. It's fleeting. Honestly, it's just not all it's cracked up to be. And that's what Solomon's talking about in Ecclesiastes 1-2. It's meaningless. It's meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. In 12 short chapters, actually, of his diary, Solomon says it's meaningless 36 times. And that word, meaningless, has a deep meaning in the original language. It's the idea of vapor, of smoke, of something that doesn't last, and you can't grab a hold of it, no matter how much you try. He also describes it this way in Ecclesiastes 1.14. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, but chasing after the wind. The idea is, I just can't get it. I feel like I can see it, but it's always out of my reach. It's like an empty well. It's like I'm throwing the bucket in, and I'm trying to draw some water out, but every time, the bucket just comes empty. I'm throwing the bucket in into my life, and I'm trying to pull something out that can just satisfy, just make me happy, just help me make it to the next day, and it keeps coming up empty. It's meaningless. It's empty. Some of you know exactly how that feels today. You feel that emptiness deep down in your soul, and this is what Solomon's talking about. This entire book of Ecclesiastes, it's Solomon saying to all of us, look, don't do what I did. Don't pursue things the way that I did. And then in chapter 3, Solomon, he finally just gives us a little bit of hope. Come on, Solomon. Just give us a little bit of something. And he doesn't leave us hanging, wondering, well, what should I do? How, how do I need to change? How, how do I need to live? In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 10, he says, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. He set eternity in the human heart. Now, this is kind of hard for us to understand, some of us, this idea of eternity being in our hearts. Because some people think, okay, so, so is that what you're saying? Like, I'm just supposed to focus on eternity. Just focus on the eternal. Don't worry about the temporal. And then I can be happy. But Brent, isn't that a little bit like of a cop-out? Like, so you're saying I should just focus on the eternal and ignore the temporary, and if I can do that, I'm actually going to find happiness? I mean, isn't that kind of like saying, I just want to escape this world and get out of here and go to heaven? When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning when... Some of you are like, yeah, you're finally singing my song. <laughs> it's about time. No, that's not the goal. That's not what we're talking about. We don't want to just get out of here, and that's not what he's saying. What Solomon's talking about is an understanding of what we're supposed to live our life towards. 
what we're supposed to focus on and live into. It's a deeper understanding of how this world that we live in works. Solomon says the reason why we find our happiness failing us, it's because we don't understand. There's eternity in our hearts. God placed it there. He continues on in verse 11. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. Listen, this, this is the gift of God. He's saying, he gives us the answer. It's this, this, this is the gift of God. There's a bigger gift. There's something else outside of all of this that you have to receive to make meaning out of this human condition in which you live. There's a larger gift. The reality is we just have the wrong version of happiness. We're looking at the, at the wrong version. And our version of happiness keeps us lacking and it keeps us wanting. Because true happiness, it's more than some elusive feeling that you get when your latte is just right. It's more than that. It's more than, than having a good commute on I-35, which has happened to me Never. It's more than that. The God who created us understands the longing that's in the human heart. And he knows that those longings can never be fully fulfilled. Our buckets can never be filled up with the temporary stuff of this world. It doesn't work. And it's because they're fleeting. They're meaningless. Because God created us with eternity in our hearts. And it's kind of like a homing beacon. Boop, 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 boop. You get the idea. Always drawing us back to him. Always drawing us to eternity. Always drawing us to eternal life in him. Always sending us his way. That's why you see people out in your workplace or in your family or out in the world and they seem lost and wounded and confused and they can never find their way and they're never content and they're always grumpy. It's because there's a homing beacon in there. They have eternity in their hearts and they're trying to fill it with everything else and there's only one solution and it's calling them home. And it's this gift of God that's found only in Jesus that can actually give us true happiness. So look at the contrast between what Solomon says and what Jesus will say. Solomon will say, don't do this like I did. It's meaningless. It's vapor. It's a chasing after the wind. But Jesus will say, no, listen, live my life. Let my life live through you. I came so that you could have abundant life, so that you could have life to the full. Solomon was a king who experienced every pleasure his eye desired. Ecclesiastes 2.10 says, everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held nothing back. I sucked the morrow of pleasure out of every task, my reward to myself for a hard day's work. Some of us finding ourselves living that kind of life, and it's still not satisfying. Solomon had every pleasure that he ever wanted, and he just lived an empty life. But Jesus is the king who came and emptied himself of everything that he had. Philippians 2.5 Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see it? Jesus came and emptied himself out, emptied himself of everything, and as a result, he experienced real, actual exaltation. Something that was real and concrete. And if we can just do the same, if we can tap into his life, you can experience the same kind of life to the full. And so today, for our closing moments here, I just want to try to unpack a little bit more of what Jesus is telling us. Because until you figure this out, until you fully give your life over to Jesus, I can promise you there will be absolutely nothing in this life that will satisfy you. You will always be looking, always be longing, always wondering why you're not satisfied. But when you fully give your life to Jesus in this amazing kind of way, his life just takes over your life. His joy fills up your life. His peace comes in. His way of living takes over. And you find this place deep down in your soul of contentment and gratitude. And you're living a life that you didn't even know was possible. It's Jesus living through you in a different way. So some of you are saying, okay, great. Yeah, sign me up for that. So if I get what you're saying, you're saying if I'll just say yes to Jesus, then I'm going to live on cloud nine every day. Life's going to be amazing. I'm going to float from cloud to cloud, and life is puppy dogs and rainbows and topo and queso flowing through my life. It's going to be that. No, that's not what I'm saying. It doesn't work like that. Unhappiness will still come. Unhappiness does come to us, and it's okay for you to feel unhappy. I'm not saying that. What's not okay is for you to stay there because God has called you to something so much better than being stuck down in the dumps. So you're asking, how can I experience it then? Okay, Brent, fine. How can I experience this Jesus kind of happiness that you're talking about? Well, there's three things that I want to give you. Try to be practical before we go. And the first is that you would just admit that happiness influences your identity. Happiness influences your identity. It does. You just got to see it for what it is. See how happiness or the lack of happiness affects you one way or the other. If you have success, you're happy. Oh, life is good. I'm enjoying things. Man, I'm just... Life is so wonderful. Bless God. Glory be to Jesus. And then an hour later, something bad happens, and, or you fail, you fall, something bad comes your way, and you're not happy. And you start spiraling downward, and it affects how you feel about yourself. Somebody says something nice, oh, you're so great. Thank you so much. Somebody says something mean or criticizes you, I hate you. Up. Down, up, down. You've got to be able to see how happiness or the lack of happiness affects your day. And how your days are affecting your weeks. And your weeks are affecting your months. And your months are affecting your years. And all of that has affected your identity. But listen, everybody, it's fleeting. Do you see it? It's fleeting. One day you're on top of the world. It's so good. What a great day. The sun is shining. Something bad happens. And the very next day, oh, I hate my life. It's fleeting. It's up and down. This is why happiness is such a poor identifier of who you really are. You can't tell who you really are based on this. Your identity can't be attached to your happiness. 
Because happiness tells us when things are good, life is good. When things are bad, everything's bad. Happiness is going to tell you that you're better than you actually are. And, it's gonna tell, and, and unhappiness is going to tell you that you're worse than you actually are. Happiness is a terrible guide. It's fickle, and it leaves us hanging all the time. That's why we have to understand happiness, according to Solomon and according to Jesus, is more than an elusive feeling. It's, it's, it's much more concrete than that. And I would say it this way. And we sang about it all morning, actually. Don't pursue happiness. Pursue the person of Jesus. Like, that's it. Don't pursue your happiness. You're looking for happiness. What's the next thing that can just make me feel better? And you're after the wrong thing, and they will all fail you. You seek after the person of Jesus, and you will find every fulfillment you've ever longed for. I promise. That's a guarantee. He's always constant. He's stable. He doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he always will be. He's good, everybody. The second thing is, and some of you won't like this, but I think if you're going to live this Jesus kind of happiness, you have to challenge your unhappiness. <laughs> challenge unhappiness. Now, many of you don't like this because I don't like confrontation. I don't like to cause a problem. I don't want to disturb anybody. I, but you have to get angry with this unhappiness. You have to actually confront it. Any of you dog owners? You guys have dogs? Anybody have dog owners? Um, have, you ever, have you ever experienced this, even if you're not a dog owner? We're not currently dog owners. Haven't been since I was eight years old. But um, we, have you ever experienced this thing where you, you walk into the house and you're kind of going about your business, but you like, some, man, something just smells bad. What is that? And you're asking your wife, hey, babe, babe, did you check the trash out? What, something smells bad. You're smelling your kids' pits like you're trying to figure out what's going on. Why? why did you, have you showered in the past week? Like, what's happening? And you're walking all over your house trying to discover it, and then you pause in a room and you go, ah, and you look back over your steps, and there is dog dew all over your house. Have you noticed it? Like you were up on chairs, you were like on the coffee table looking up at the ceiling like you were trying to figure it out. And there's just, there's just, please forgive me, it's Sunday morning, but there's just duty everywhere. <laughs> Kid back there like that one. <laughs> I'm coming to church more. Uh, this is kind of what unhappiness is like. Like it just kind of follows you in. And it just gets all over everything. It crawls on your couch. It gets into your room. It, it finds itself on your kids. It gets into your marriage. Like it just follows you everywhere and it stinks. Most of us don't like confrontation. We don't like to challenge. But you've got to get confrontational with your unhappiness. You've got to confront it. You've got to say, no, no, bro, no. You're not coming in here. You're not coming in here. I'm not letting you in here in Jesus' name. And all of this just starts right here with your thoughts. You know, it's so easy just to let your thoughts wander. They just kind of, you just let them go. And somebody says something to you and you just let it go and go and go. And you have a conversation with yourself about the next time you see them and you have the perfect comeback and you just nail them and it feels so, you know that? Yeah, yeah, I'm not the only one. It's easy to let your thoughts wander and they dictate your state of mind. And you, you think stuff like, man, if I just, if I just had that. If I just had a different circumstance in my life, if this could be better, if she could just, if he would just, what's the deal? Like, if the situation could just change, I would be happy. Does God not like me? Like, everybody gets all these other opportunities, and I get nothing. 
You've got to confront those thoughts right away. Those thoughts of entitlement, those thoughts of unmet expectations, you confront them and say, nope, stop, stop right there. You're not coming in here. You can't get in here. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here it is, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What we're talking about here is just taking those thoughts captive. It just means gaining control over them. You don't get to be free in here. You don't get to just run around and dictate how I'm going to feel today. I am taking you under authority. You are captive in the name of Jesus, and I'm not going to think like that anymore. What you put inside your mind has an effect on what you think. Do you remember like when you're growing up and you see, you see like a really scary movie? Did you, just, did you experience scary movies growing up? When I was a kid, I was probably seven, and, and my brother Brad, my middle brother, he was, he was at home watching me, which was a terrible thing. I've got lots of stories about that. And he's watching me, and he decided to watch TV, and so he turns on the TV, and do you know what was on TV that evening with my parents gone out of the house? The Shining. <laughs> if you've seen it. So I'm about seven years old, and he's like, hey, come on, let's watch TV, and I'm like... <gasps> I mean, terrified, literally terrified, still not sleeping quite good enough, right? Scarred me at seven years old. And some of you had things like that happen. And you know what happens when you don't watch that kind of stuff? You don't have those kind of scary thoughts. Who knew that the key to not having nightmares was not watching horror films? Who knew? And so when I didn't watch it, I was much better. This is the same thing. Don't let the stuff in. You've got to confront it and push it out. This is why 1 Timothy 6.6 6 is so important. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm not going to let that stuff in. I'm not going to wonder why I don't have this and why this can't be this way. I am in the state that I'm in. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And so I'm going to today be content. I'm content with what I have. I don't need to buy anything else. I don't need to have a new house. I don't need new clothes. I don't need more square feet. I'm content with what I have. Instead of just letting my thoughts dictate my state of happiness, I confront them. I confront unhappiness dead on, and I confront it with contentment. But why can't I? Nope. I'm happy. But why can't my business be? Nope. God, thank you for what I have. I'm content. I have enough. You, Jesus, are enough. And the final thing is that you would just make choices that produce the Jesus kind of happiness. You've you, you got to make some of these choices. How do you do that practically? How do we practically make choices that produce the Jesus kind of happiness? Why don't you guys come on back up? Look, I'm no expert on this. But what I've experienced in 20 years of pastoral ministry with adults that I talk to and people that I counsel with as I'm pastoring, this is what I've observed. The happiest people that I know, they make it less about themselves. The happiest people that I've encountered, they make it less about themselves. The people who are disgruntled and upset and down and unhappy and frustrated, they've pretty much made life about them. The happiest people I know live their life to help other people actually be happy. And you might be thinking, okay, great, Brent, fine, but, but you don't understand, I've messed up. Like, I'm a, I'm a mess, I'm a disaster. How could I possibly help anybody? Well, let me tell you a little secret. Go out, find somebody more messed up than you are, 
and just serve them and just help them. It's going to put you in a little bit of awkward position here. Who's more messed up? But that's fine. We're all in this together. We're all family together. Find somebody who's not doing good and serve them. Find somebody who needs help and serve them. Why can't I? Why don't I? Nope. Shut those things down. Go out and serve them. Make some choices to go serve other people. Just like Jesus did. You give your life away. Here's some practical ways that you can do that. If you've taken notes, you can write these down as we close. Here's one thing. Just stop complaining and stop blaming other people. Yeah, but they, nope, stop. But my dad, no, just let it go. Just forgive him. It's going to be a process. It's going to be hard. But, but stop complaining and stop blaming other people for where you are. Release them. Set them free. Stop letting somebody else control your happiness. They don't get to control who you are becoming in Christ. You and him do that together. These people aren't a part of that. Let them go. Forgive them. Stop blaming other people. Be content. I think another choice that you make is you just choose gratitude. You choose it every day. Just choose gratitude daily. My wife really likes um, Anne of Green Gables. Actually, my dad, Ken Parsley, loves Anne of Green Gables. He's, he watches that VHS tape all the time. It's real weird. I'm not, I'm not an expert on it, but I think in the first episode, Anne asks, what's your name? Is it Mar- Marilla? Is that right? Marilla? Asks Marilla, she asks her, hey, Marilla, how do I pray? And Marilla says, just thank God for your blessings and ask him humbly for the things you want. Isn't that a beautiful, simple way that we should live our lives? Just thank God for your blessings and ask him humbly for the things you want. It's such a simple response. Listen, gratitude is a weapon in your hands. Gratitude is a weapon to push back all these things that are pushing in on you and all these circumstances that are controlling how you feel inside. Gratitude can destroy them. It will kill thoughts of entitlement in your life that are taking away your happiness. Here it is in Philippians 4.8. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. Follow the example of all that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. You live your life with gratitude, and God promises the God of peace, peace will be with you. Another thing I think you should do is just serve other people with zero expectations. Oh, we're pretty good at serving, but when I serve, I'd like some attention, please. I'd like someone to notice that I served them. I cleaned up the shower, and my wife didn't say anything. It's her hair in the drain, by the way. And she didn't say a word. Just stop it. Zero expectation. I'm just going to serve. I'm going to serve. Just, I'm going to go, and I'm going <laughs> to... I apologize for that. <laughs> That's what happens when I do it, though. And I'm going to throw it in the trash. And if she never says anything, fine, I love her. I served her. Zero expectation of what's in return. And finally, just surround yourself with people who live this kind of life. Surround yourself with people that live like this. This is why Supper for Six groups are important. This is why I'm always pushing you to catalyst into groups. Because you've got to surround yourself with people that live this way. You've got people in your life that are unhappy, that are always grumpy, 
They're always negative. Everything's always terrible. Guess what? That rubs off on you over time. Get yourself around some people who love life, who laugh easy, who enjoy the life that God has given them, who live lives of contentment with gratitude. Find them, and you'll find some amazing life in Jesus. Finally, Francis Chan, who some of you know, he wrote a book called Letters to the Church, and here's what he said about all this. We'll close. God wants you to resemble his son, especially when you gather with your church family. Do you show up to gatherings looking to serve? As some of you hear that question, you feel burdens like a weight was just placed on you. You already live a busy life, and you want the church gathering to be a place of rest where you can be fed. If you think that sitting back and letting the church staff feed you will bring you the most fulfillment, you are so wrong. Francis Chan's words, not mine. God promised that those who give will be most blessed. Takers are the most miserable people on earth. It is our inability to take our eyes off ourselves and put them on others that destroys us. This is what Jesus saves us from. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. The most humble people, typically the happiest. Why don't you close your eyes? Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find info about groups, teams, and other things happening at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. Have a great week.